Welcome into another episode of the Five Foot Nothing, Hundred Nothing Podcast. I'm your host, and I am Five Foot Nothing, a Hundred Nothing. All right, guys, welcome in, welcome back. It's only been a week. It's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. In a week's time, there is stuff to talk about, but unlike when you take off for a month, there's less. So I should be able to do this in less than like I don't know an hour and a half. We'll see. And if I do sound sick, it's because I probably am. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm definitely doing the day cool thing right now. That's happening. And uh, normally I'd say, hey, you know, or I say normally, most people probably say, hey, let's skip it, find another time to record. Uh, Time's at a premium for me, free time that is, uh, between two jobs, four kids, baseball, you name it, I probably have it going on. So... When I make a point to set aside time to record, I gotta power through. And I, I took a took a page out of Ron Burgundy's playbook and took a shot of scotch. Scotch, 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 scotch goes down, down to my belly. We'll see if it helps my throat. I don't know if it does or not. So we'll see. Shout out to Shivas for making that happen. Alright, and shout out to Fighting Irish Faithful. He had me on his space last night. Uh, I sounded way better than this. I know that. Uh, but uh, go check him out. If you like stats, if you like numbers, go check out Fighting Irish Faithful. I I do bring some statistical elements when I talk about you know previews and, and after the game and stuff. But I don't go nearly in the depths of statistics and spreadsheets that this man does. So if you like that stuff, Please go check him out. All right. Uh, so there's some things we can discuss today. Uh, I am going to revisit my schedule prediction. Not in the same depth. I went uh, five episodes ago, which was uh, March 22nd. Um, I do want to talk about the expectations for the season. I will talk about some uh, injury news, positively and negatively, unfortunately. Uh, I do want to briefly touch on the Manti Teo documentary. I did watch that, but I'm not going to go too in-depth, and I'll tell you why when I get there. Uh, Then I do have an announcement to make, which, how convenient, I'm going to have a big announcement that's kind of cool for me. I think it's a big deal, and it comes on episode 50, one of those you know milestone landmark episodes. I made it to 50, and you guys are still listening and tuning in and it's it's fantastic. So, let's power through. Let me get a sip of water. Ah, water doesn't hit quite like scotch does, but we'll get through. Let's go. Watch me for the changes and try to keep up. Alright, so I want to start off with current roster stuff, which is injury related. Jared Patterson. He is looking like he may not be able to go for Ohio State. And that's that's kind of a big deal. Um, if you saw, he's been 
listed as a preseason All-American on more than one outlet. And real quick, I keep seeing it. Mason Plummer that amplified it. Jared Patterson is not a center. I mean, he was, but he's playing guard now for us. And they keep listing him as a center. That's not what he is this season. Um, but I I guess he'd be the best center in the country. Uh, lucky for us, we have him playing guard, I suppose. You know, uh, Zeke Carell obviously is going to be our center. But not having Patterson is kind of a big deal. Just our offensive line is going to be a strength. And if there's any game that you need all your dudes at full strength, it's Ohio State. It's week one. It's Ohio State. At Ohio State. Uh, It'd be nice to have him. It's not a, a for sure that he's not going to play. Freeman said as much. If Patterson's good to go, he's going. So we'll see. But you got, uh, it's either Christoffic or Spindler. And then that becomes a game of, uh, do you want the veteran who's started multiple games and has experience? Or do you want Spindler, which is supposedly the, the more talented yet inexperienced guy? So we'll see what happens if Patterson's unable to go, who they plug into that spot. It's something we need to uh, pay attention to, and I don't even know if I'll have an answer uh, next week when I provide a full preview of the Ohio State game. We shall see. The other injury, which isn't getting much traction. I tried finding stuff about it, but uh, it's Cam Hart. I don't know if he is hurt, isn't hurt, what it is. Supposedly it's a lower body thing, but... uh, it's nothing of significant news that I could say yay or nay into what is expected of him in terms of will he be ready for Ohio State, will he not, how long is he out. I don't have any of that information. I just know that it looks like he is somewhat uh, injured or hobbled or hurt. That What's the, what's the phrase? Uh, if you're hurt, you can play football. If you're injured, you're injured. You know, so I think he might just be hurt right now. We'll see. Okay, enough about negative injury talk. Let's talk about some positive injury talk. Not that injuries are positive, but we have positive news about players that are or were injured. Uh, let's start with Joe Wilkins. He's back to practicing. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to be a go for Ohio State, but just the fact that he's practicing is tremendous news. For the obvious, we need receiver help. And he's a good one to have uh, practicing and healthy and you know going. But uh, I don't know. I tried to find to see, you know, if, is the coaching staff telling guys who are reporting on this, who are you know more connected than I'll ever be, is he good to go? Is he going to play at Ohio State? It's still not clear. But I said last week, he it's a foot thing. And as I mentioned, Kevin Austin, like you don't want to rush that injury back because it, apparently it's very similar to what Kevin Austin had. And if you're a Notre Dame sports fan, you follow all their sports. Bonzi Colson had a very similar uh, injury with his foot, and he was never the same. So you you don't want to rush him back because it can break again, and it's something you want to be very cautious about. But the fact that he's 
practicing and running routes and moving. That's awesome. Like, we need it. <laughs> we need it. So, you know, we'll see. We'll follow that. But the other guy who's a full go now, which is awesome, is our guy Logan Diggs. Uh, you know, Diggs of Hazard with his uh, jumping over Virginia players and sliding across the hood of the 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 Rebel. I forget what kind of car that was. You guys can yell at me later. I'm not thinking straight. Uh, I, if you can't tell, I just I I don't feel a hundred percent. But we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this, guys. But Diggs is a full go. That's huge. Our not to say our running backs situation was was weak or thin. Totally, but we don't know what they're gonna do with Tyree. Are they gonna have him flex out and help in place of where Davis was? And just getting Diggs back just really helps tremendously. So we're glad to see that. That's Let's get him going up to full speed with everything he needs to know for, what, a week and a half? We've got 10 days left. I don't know. I forget the number now. Eleven. Yeah, 10 days. 10 days till uh, we kick off against Ohio State. So... But uh, that's really all I want to discuss about, you know, roster and injuries and stuff. And roster stuff will come back up here as I go through kind of revisiting our schedule and talking about expectations and things like that. So, but as far as injuries, let's knock on wood that that's, we're, we're done with that, you know. Let's get everybody we've got healthy and ready for September 3rd. That's all we can ask. Okay, so back five episodes ago, March 22nd, so that would be like five months ago, I said Notre Dame would go 10-2. and two. I said we'd go 10-2, and two, and it would be probably a New Year's Six kind of finish you know that's what I'm I'm feeling but I want to somewhat adjust how we're getting to 10, 10 and 2 it's not changing too much you know it's some confidence levels have have changed if you will but just run through it real quick I just game by game win loss nothing crazy and I'll come back, talk about each game a little, little bit. Not like I did five months ago, but Ohio State loss. Marshall win, Cal win at North Carolina, win. BYU in Vegas, that's a win. Stanford, that's a win. UNLV, that's a win. At Syracuse, that's a win. Clemson, I'm calling this... I'm calling this a win-loss. More towards the win. Navy, that's a win. Boston College, that's a win. USC, calling it a win-loss. More leaning towards a loss at, Ohio, at USC. That has something to do with it. Okay, so that's where we get to 10-2. and two. Taking L's at Ohio State and at USC. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Ohio State. I'll do it next week. 
We know what they have. It's it's a lot, okay? They're bringing back a lot of players. They did lose players to the NFL, but they're still bringing back plenty of talent. We know they are. They changed the defensive coordinator. That could benefit Notre Dame, especially in week one. So, you know, we, we want to see what our offense can do knowing who the defensive coordinator is because we just played him in the Fiesta Bowl. So, you know, we should, we'll see. But I, I just don't know that we have everything we need to beat Ohio State at Ohio State week one. So then uh, Marshall, uh, you know, the fighting Kane Maddens, the fighting dump trucks. We're going to run through them. Uh, California, Irish wear green. Break out all your green. We're going to beat them. They lost to Arizona. It was Arizona's only win of the season. Arizona also lost to Northern Arizona. And I... Obviously, it's a new year. It's A lot of things are different. And when we get to California, we'll discuss their roster and whatnot. But I just don't know how you go from what they were last year to, to beating Notre Dame. I just, no. Uh, at North Carolina, they finally named a starter for their uh, quarterback position. Uh, Drake May, I think his name was. But they don't have Sam Howell anymore, and he was everything for that team. Uh, I don't know how good Drake May is or isn't, but Sam Howell was pretty damn good, and he couldn't beat us. Uh, I don't see North Carolina all of a sudden fixing this and becoming <clears throat> a team that can beat Notre Dame. Because the last time we played at Chapel Hill was supposed to be like this big deal, and North Carolina was going to beat us, and, and that did happen. Then we get our bye week. Then it's BYU and Vegas. Now, a lot of people are saying BYU and Vegas is going to be tricky. I'm not saying it isn't going to be tricky. Uh, not saying that at all. I just, to me, this comes down to a, a talent thing. And by the time we get to this game, I believe Notre Dame, with their talent, will be running a lot smoother and better and can beat a BYU team with their talent. Uh, to me, that it comes down to that. You know, not that BYU isn't a good team, not that they're not well put together, well coached. No, all those things are true. But I just don't see how they're gonna outplay us enough to win. You know, people say, "Oh, well, they were ten and three last year," and I talked about it in March. Their, their record was more like a product of their schedule. Yeah, they had a big win against Utah. Cool. But it felt like they lost to any good or decent team they played, which was Boise State, Baylor, and then randomly UAB. So, I, don't, I just... I don't know how good uh, they truly are or will be. They're one of those teams that could very easily be like ten and three again, but they could also be, you know, 
six and why well, I say ten and three because of the bowl game. So ten and two, or were they nine and three? I, they were nine and three going to the bowl game. Won the bowl game. Uh, they could be nine and three again, or they could be six and six. Who knows? You know, we'll see. But it is the Shamrock Series game with our sweet icy whites with the gold trim. Um, I wrote down back in March we should have been all gold uniforms, but I do like what they came out with. I'm very thrilled about the the uniform. So you know, we'll check that out. I. I just don't see BYU. That's a game people say we should be scared of. I'm not worried about it. Stanford, that's a win. I don't know how else we could... uh... There's nothing more to say. Stanford's not very good at football right now. Uh, UNLV, the Peacock game. That's what we're going to call that one. We're going to call that the lag game. The game where everything has happened before I ever see it. I mean, shit, might as well just record the game. Go... uh, was it zero dark thirty? Just literally stay under the covers. Don't even put the game on. Record it, and then watch it in the middle of the night, so nobody can bother me, and I won't be disappointed with some stupid ass update. Or not update, but notification. I guess that's an update about something that already happened that I haven't seen yet. I just get annoyed. But UNLV, that's a win. At Syracuse, that's a win. I mean, how could it not be? And then uh, then we got Clemson at home. November 8th, I believe, is the date on that one. The, I say it's going to be a win because we're at home. But just like I say about Notre Dame improving throughout the season as the season progresses, so would Clemson. And we can't argue Clemson has recruited better than Notre Dame. Does that mean Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame? I don't know. Does that mean Notre Dame's going to beat Clemson? I'm calling a win because I feel like the way Clemson played last year versus how Notre Dame played now, I know Notre Dame's replacing their quarterback, but I, I think our quarterback, Tyler Buckner, has got a lot more possibilities and explosiveness than Jack Cohn ever did or will. You know, and then you look at Clemson. Well, DJU struggled. Does that mean Klubnik's going to come in? I don't know. Shipley's a year older. He's going to be better. It's just... I'm putting a lot of stock in what they did last year, and I know, oh, it's a new year, it's a new season. You're right. But you also lost Brent Venables, and without Brent Venables last year, who knows what Clemson would have been because, like I said, their offense and DJU was just not that good. Um, however, they do have a bye week leading into our the game with us. That could be a benefit. But that's going to be the most fun game for me this season. Full disclosure, I I think I you saw me put it on Twitter. I've made a lot of Clemson friends, uh, and I went to the uh, Cotton Bowl in 2018. Clemson people uh, were very kind, and night before the game, during, after, I was probably a bigger jerk than uh, any Clemson fan I crossed paths with that whole weekend. So. And then I made friends like 
legitimate friends with uh, some Clemson guys. So that's going to be a fun week. I'm sure I will get one, at least one, of those guys on my show so we can uh, go back and forth and have some fun. Uh, Maybe I'll get on one of their shows. We'll see. But that's going to be a fun week for me. But I do feel like if Tyler Buckner and this offense can be what we think it is and the defense just continues to do what it's been doing for many years, uh, I like us to be Clemson. Uh, Navy in Baltimore. I don't care. Navy in Dublin. Navy in Baltimore. Navy in, in Antarctica. We're beating Navy. The game is no fun with their triple option and chop blocks. Which, by the way, real quick. Watching for the changes, try to keep up. How awesome would it be? Week one, Ohio State. And I'm probably going to mention this again because it's just fun to talk about. Week one, Ohio State. We get the ball first. We, we'll we receive. Do the old BK thing. Instead of, you know, I would... You win the toss, you kick off. You defer, whatever it is. You kick off, you get the ball in the second half. I always thought that's like, that's your, the, the rule. But anyway, BK always took the ball. Fine. Let's take the ball and come out against Ohio State and run the damn triple option. Could you imagine? Just think about that shit. You got a mobile quarterback, like insanely mobile, tough quarterback in Tyler Buckner. We got three. Now that Diggs is healthy, three more than capable running backs. Put SMA right behind Buckner. You got Tyree and Diggs on the wings. And here's the thing. If a team like Navy can compete, which they have, and you can't argue it, and a team like Air Force or Army, but Navy specifically because we play them every year, they've been more than competitive more than their fair share of times given the talent disparity, right? They've been more than competitive. Imagine what a bunch of like legit D1 like stud players could do with the triple option when you got a, a mobile, tough quarterback like Buckner, who, by the way, can also throw. Not like Navy, who, you know, they, they throw. It's like middle school. It's like, oh, hopefully they catch it. He just throws it up there. But how awesome would it be to come out week one, triple option, and just... Ohio State wouldn't know what the hell is going on. And then here's the other little wrinkle. You never do it again. You just do it the one time. Because here's the thing. If you can figure out the tri- as good as the triple option can be, if you figure it out, it's you're wasting plays, right? But you come out, first drive, probably catch them off guard, probably get some solid plays out of the deal, right? But then never do it again. But still, maybe every other series, throw the formation on the field, but don't actually run the triple option. Like right before the pre-snap, flex out, and it's a you know a four-wide set. You just run a pass play or whatever. But how fun would that be? And Ohio State, like I think that would send them into a a very oh, what's his nuts uh, Jim Knowles, right? I think he would go bananas. He'd be like, I, he wouldn't know what to do. Like, is it this play? Are they going to do it this play? Are they going to do this play? Okay, no, there's a triple option. All right, defense, try to change up the defense. I just think it'd be fun. Maybe I'm 
Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm playing, you know, video game football in my brain. I don't know. But I think that would be pretty badass. So anyway, Navy, that's a win. Boston College, that's a win. People are saying look out for Boston College. It's at home. And I'm sure Djokovic has got his own special motivation to come in and win at Notre Dame. He should still be our quarterback, I, I think. But that's that could be a whole episode on its own. But he's going to come back. He's going to have some motivation. He's still got Zay Flowers. I get it. But the fact that it's just, again, BC is backup college for a reason. Like, we, we're not going to lose to Boston College. Not with the talent we have on our roster. And again, a lot of these games are going to come strictly down to talent. That's why I don't feel great about Ohio State. It's strictly a talent thing. If they play up to their capabilities and we play up to ours, they're likely going to win. That's I said it last episode. You can coach up all the three stars you want. Coach them up, coach them up, coach them up, coach them up. But if you're if you go against a team who's got a bunch of coached up four and five stars, the four and fives are going to win ninety nine times out of a hundred. It just is. It is what it is. So Boston College can play great as long as Notre Dame does too. We win. So now, if everything goes as I just said it, you're sitting at ten and one. One game left at USC. It is not the same team from last year or the year before that or the year before that or the however many seasons, 2,000 plus days since USC's beat Notre Dame. And I, I want to be wrong about this. And I, I hope when this time comes, we have 11 games worth of evidence to say I am was way wrong back in March and then again in August. And this is, we're going to put it to USC again. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal for us to win this game. Absolutely. It's Lincoln Riley starting his time at USC. Marcus Freeman starting his time at Notre Dame. It's a game that it almost feels like a must win, right? So I, I, I want and need Notre Dame to win. But if I'm playing the game of how good will each team be, if they continue to grow and progress and play up to their potential, at USC scares me at the end of the season. Uh, I believe they're going to have a better year, and you know they're fair weather fans. Like the, the they are the epitome of fair weather fans, but I think they're going to have a good enough season where that stadium is going to be packed. You know they're going to be back, they're ready to go, and they just they added some people, they added some dudes, and. You know, between Caleb Williams and Travis Dye and Mario Williams and CJ Williams, Notre Dame almost commit. And then you add in Jordan Addison. Like, I know I'm focusing on the offense and their defensive line and offensive lines are not fantastic. I get that. But again, with no football being played, this is a guess. Just, I'm trying to project and see how each might come along. 
and you look at what Oklahoma has been able to do under Lincoln Riley, I, I think it's going to be a really tough game, and it would not surprise me if it were a loss. That's not what I want, but that's what I'm got a feeling, you know. So that puts us at ten and two, and then ten and two feels like if you beat Clemson, you know. And I do think we're going to play Ohio State close, and I do think it'll be a close game with USC. So with that, you'll probably get a New Year's Six game, and maybe we could put to rest and shut some people up by actually winning a game that matters. A big game, a top 10 game, as people want to point out, Notre Dame hasn't won a top 10, uh, or hasn't won a game versus a top 10 opponent since, I don't know how long, except if you eliminate, take out the wins, it looks like we haven't won since 94. Now, again, I keep saying it, I've said it multiple times throughout my time doing this podcast, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm not going to defend the indefensible. Okay? You cannot defend Notre Dame having 36 losses against a top 10 team since 1994. Then you get paid, oh, what about Clemson in 2020? What about Oklahoma in 2012? And two things, um, there's only two games, and that does not erase 36 losses. But then you dig in deeper. Oh, it turns out Notre Dame was 11 and 36 in those in that time span from 94 to current. 11 and 36 versus top 10 teams. That's still like it's not really helping the argument, especially when you know the biggest games on the biggest stage that we've lost. Now, I could tell the whole story. Again, I'm not defending. That we've lost. It's not defend it's indefensible, okay? But I will say from like what late nineties, like I'm talking like ninety eight, ninety nine, going all the way to like twenty twelve. You know, some of those games were bowl games that we probably shouldn't have been in that position, you know? And and also you're looking at, no, Notre Dame lost to a top 10 team. But were they a top 10 team themselves? It really, I feel like that's got to be taken into account. You say, well, it's Notre Dame. They should be top 10. Well, guess what? We haven't, and we weren't for a very, very long time. Okay? We went between Lou Holtz and Brian Kelly. It was not awesome. Okay? Let's call it what it is. It was not awesome. And then we thought, for a minute, Brian Kelly might be the fix, and nope, he just wins all the games we're supposed to win, and then loses the ones that matter. So, whatever. But if you're not a top ten team yourself, like, I mean, go look at say any SEC team that's not, you know, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida from '94 to current. How many top ten losses do they have? Or you look at the. Bottom of the ACC. And how many top 10 losses they would have. And you go conference by conference. You know, find the, you know, Big Ten. They've had plenty of teams ranked in the top 10. How did Illinois and Indiana and, you know, uh, Purdue and just Rutgers. How did that, what's their record against top 10 teams? So context matters, right? 
However, if you go through some of those, like the 0-1 Fiesta Bowl against Oregon State, we're in that game because we are Notre Dame. I'm convinced of that. The uh, 07 Sugar Bowl, which I was at, which is a gargantuan reason why I do not care for, and I, I, I'll use the word hate. I I don't like that word. I don't. I hate using the word hate. But LSU fans are the worst people I've ever ever encountered, and. That that helps me dislike Brian Kelly just that much more. It really does. Um, <laughs> but the 07 Sugar Bowl, we were there because we are Notre Dame. There was nothing to insinuate that we were going to win that game. And granted, I, I wasn't thinking like that. But you look back in retrospect and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like we shouldn't have been in that game, you know. And I went through. Uh, was it my third episode? I believe it was. How many? Uh, 47 episodes ago. You know, is their name overrated, underrated? And the few times I came up to the conclusion that we were overrated, like legitimately, was when we were put in these positions that we probably shouldn't have been put in. And then we got exposed. But did we get exposed? Because if you were really looking at it, we weren't that good. So, I don't know. It's, I guess, yes, we got exposed because we shouldn't have been in the Sugar Bowl in 07. We shouldn't have been in the Fiesta Bowl in 01. But it's Notre Dame. It's going to draw eyeballs. It's going to put butts in the seats. Let's do it. And boom, we get our ass handed to us. And if you were really paying attention, you shouldn't have been surprised. I mean, it's just is what it is. But 2012 to current? Yeah, we have some, some losses that suck. But you look at the names... Of the teams we've lost to, Georgia twice, Alabama, uh, Clemson, Alabama again, Ohio State. And yeah, we had the clunkers against Miami and Michigan. That those we should be competing with and we didn't. And it's, I, I, I ain't got an answer for that one. But you look at tw- 2012 and uh, 2015 Fiesta Bowl and the two college football playoff appearances, we lost to, in 2012, the best team in college football. 2018, Clemson, the best team in college football. 2020, Alabama, the best team in college football. 2015 was Ohio State, and they were pretty damn good. Like, it's... I'm not saying it's justified that... uh, we lost, and in some cases, lost by a lot. But I don't know that there's many teams that were winning any of those games either. So, whereas in 01 and 07, you could argue there were other teams that should have been in that spot and probably would have competed a little bit better. That I, I'd listen to. But from 2012 to current, no, sir. I there were The spots Notre Dame ended up in, bowl game-wise, now regular season, it's the regular season, and you know we got to show up and win. But uh, for bowl game purposes, like Notre Dame was not gifted a uh, a spot in the Fiesta Bowl or any of the college football playoffs 
or the national championship in 2012. Like that was all Notre Dame was the right team in those situations, you know? So with that said, it'd be nice to go 10 and two and get a new year six and win against anybody. Just, it really is to the point where just anybody, as long as it's one of those big name bowl games, get the win. Let's, let's start something new, right? So with that said, what should be our expectations for this season? Should it be 10 and two? Should it be less? I've seen people say eight and four. JJ, I'm looking at you. We'll talk tomorrow night, JJ. And real quick, yes, guys, I will be on the Chopping Beef Show tomorrow night. It's 8 o'clock Eastern time, so I don't know what your time zone is. I'm 7 o'clock Central. So, But uh, Chopping Beef, they have uh, a link on YouTube, or they also do uh, Facebook uh, Live. So check them out. But uh, my buddy JJ is a Notre Dame fan, and he's saying Notre Dame's going 8-4 and four this year. I don't know what I should bet him. I need money. I feel like I should bet him something, though. We can discuss that behind the scenes. But uh, what should the expectations be? Are they 8-4 and four for you? Are they 9-3? and three? Which people seem to think that that's a pretty, like, obvious expectation, given we've got Ohio State, Clemson, USC. And then if you want to mix in the BYU Boston College, that's supposed to be a tough game. I don't know, but uh, or is it ten to two like where I'm at? Or are you thinking that we're only going to lose that Ohio State game because they're Ohio State? Then we're going to run the table, which is not out of the realm of possibility. I I know this, eleven and one. Or are you gun ho and I it's twelve and zero. Like I don't even know. I don't want to say things. Because I know there's people out there that are 12 and 0, 12 and 0 crew. That's so what I'm gonna call you the 12 and 0 crew, or the 14 and 0 crew. Because we're gonna win that game and then two in the playoff, and we win the whole damn thing, right? But again, I try to bring some objectivity to this podcast. What should the expectations be? We've got a brand new head coach, who yes has been with the program for a year but he's never had been a head coach so credit to him he surrounded himself with people who have done a lot more within college football and even professional football Al Golden surrounded himself with those kind of people to help him navigate this and figure this out but what he's accomplished as a defensive coordinator and gotten to where he's got, like, I don't think it's going to be this huge step down. And people want to hang their hat on that. Oh, as a first-time head coach, watch for the bumps in the road. I just, yeah, if you were taking over, let's say, LSU. Just, just to throw a name out there, right? Let's just say he was taking over LSU, who has been struggling the last few seasons, ever since 2019, that was like that was like a roller coaster. They climbed all the way to the top and said we made it, and they just just dropped all the way down. That 
Marcus Freeman doesn't have his quote-unquote work cut out for him. He might, from a sense of it's Notre Dame, it's a huge brand, it's a huge university, it's a historic blue blood football program, he's got to lead them and he's got to you know, do all those types of things that sometimes doesn't even include being on the field. But to say he's got to work, his work cut out for him is a bit much. Because, yes, we do not like Brian Kelly for a, a litany of reasons. But one thing that drove me nuts about Brian Kelly, and I said it even when I was doing this one season on my podcast, we're about to start season three. Exciting times. Um, I say one season because I started the my podcast after uh, the 20, uh, 20 season. So I did a whole 21 season. Now we're running to 22, right? But the, uh, golly, I, lo- I totally lost my train of thought, guys. <laughs> no, my cat ran across and I'm lost. But uh, uh, the, the, the thing Freeman has the work cut out isn't, isn't correct. Brian Kelly set him up with a great foundation. The thing that drove me nuts about Brian Kelly, that's what I was going to say. He he just he, he just won the games he was supposed to win, which is fine. Cool. Great. But we expected you to win those games. I, The ones that were even remotely on the fence was, you know, I guess the 2012 Oklahoma. But that was, Brian Kelly was so new. That was so new. You, you know what to expect, right? But 2020 Clemson. Like, those are the kind of games we need to win. And, oh, well, they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. I'm sorry, but DJ uh, Ungalale, I probably said that incredibly wrong. So DJU set a record for most passing yards by an opposing quarterback in Notre Dame Stadium in the history of Notre Dame Stadium. Like, I don't want to hear that because Trevor Lawrence didn't play, that's why Clemson lost. DJU had a freaking game that... You know, what more could Trevor Lawrence have possibly done? So I'm not here for that. But he finally won that game, and then we come back, and then we look ridiculous against Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. So Brian Kelly's motivational tactics obviously were borderline non-existent. He did not make a concerted and focused and uh, above and beyond effort to get the more talented kids to South Bend. Freeman's doing all that stuff. You know, so I don't want to hear he's, oh, he's got his work cut out for him. Like, what? What work? He's brought in more talent in the, you know, because he had to keep together the class. And people want to say, oh, 22 was actually Brian Kelly's class. I say BS. Because Freeman had to keep that shit together. So... You know, or sorry, the 21 class, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But the, the last class of Kelly's tenure, I still, I give more credit to Freeman for that. You know, but, and some of the guys even came in defensively because of Freeman. So, yes, it's, it's Freeman there, right? But I just think his style is going to, at minimum, keep us where we're at. I don't see this huge drop. Okay, we got a new quarterback. 
what we saw from Buckner, he's he's got the tools, guys. He's got the tools. They used him more like a package last year. You know, we had Jack Cohn. They didn't bring in Buckner. That that was also a thing that drove me nuts. Like, Buckner's doing great. He's running the offense right now. Then we're gonna pull him. Why? Because that the time for the package has run out. I don't. I never understood that, so I'm excited to see Buckner, and I believe he has the skill set to give us some of this offensive explosion that we've been begging for because we're getting more talented guys. We just got to see it happen. So expectations should be at minimum record-wise what they were if it was Brian Kelly. Right? We're to win the games we're supposed to. So with that, I think minimum we're nine and three. But I think Freeman has a little extra juice that we're gonna win one of those games that we I say we're not supposed to, but that are gonna be closer and we may even not be the favorite, you know. I I just I I don't I can't listen to the people where expectations are lowered simply because Freeman's here. We're we're talking if you if that's the case, you're acting like Brian Kelly's Nick Saban. You're acting like, you know, uh I'm trying to think who else it's it's Nick Saban, right? Uh, there's no other I there's no other example you could throw out there if you're talking that way. Because Notre Dame still has talented players. We were winning the games we were supposed to. We lost all the ones that were in flux, that were debatable, that were we weren't necessarily the favorite. Like, so why can't we continue to do that part at least? I don't see why we can't. I really don't. And I know we haven't seen Freeman coach, but again, he surrounded himself with the right guys to make sure that stuff stays intact. So. I still, I, I like 10 and 2. Uh, and I'm hoping as the season progresses, I feel a lot more confident. And uh, I'm 11 and 1. Now it's funny. My I said my confidence had kind of shifted. And it's my confidence in that I thought we'd, we'd beat Clemson. Like, there's we're going to beat Clemson and we'll probably lose to USC. Well, now I'm more like, I, I'm. I'm closer to we might lose to Clemson and I'm closer to we might beat USC. So my confidence has gone up in what I've heard and read about how the team is practicing, but I've also heard things about what Clemson's doing. So I have to adjust accordingly, right? So I still think it's 10-2 and and the two losses are Ohio State-USC. I hope I'm wrong, you know, and, uh, you know, let me know what your expectations are, you know, shoot, shoot me a DM, email me at five foot nothing pod on Twitter at, uh, sorry, five foot nothing pod at gmail.com for my email, you know, and some of you guys have my number, just text me. <laughs> I'm curious to know what you guys' expectations are because I've seen everything. It's all over the map, you know. 
But that's really all I wanted to totally cover as far as the football team and this upcoming season. Again, next week I will come back and it'll be a normal season thing. Do the full preview of Ohio State, watch the game, come back, recap it, yell, more than likely. But uh, i got a couple things before I get out of here today. First, uh, if you've watched... The Manti Teo documentary. You know, you can relate to some of the things I'm about to say. If you haven't, uh, I don't know, I guess, stop listening now. (laughs) Go watch it. Then pick up uh, the rest of the podcast. I have a few more things to go over, so I don't know. Maybe if you just skip forward like 10 minutes. Well, yeah. Maybe five. I don't think I'll talk for ten. Maybe five minutes. But uh, so the Manti Teo documentary was extremely, extremely well done. Like I, so as a Notre Dame fan, obviously we're very interested. We were very connected to that 2012 season, to the story, all of it, right? And I, and real quick, I'm not going to say too, too much. Not even about spoilers, but I mentioned I'm going to go on the Chop and Beef show tomorrow night. Me and JJ can discuss our his eight and four nonsense with Notre Dame, but one topic we want to discuss is the Manti Teo documentary, and so I encourage you guys to come over there because I know some of you have gone over there and and listened to the show. And when I'm on there, you've been over there. It's it's three and me, four dudes just sitting around. I will be drinking beer or whatever, and it's just laughs and good times, but we're going to bring some seriousness to it with this Manti Teo discussion. And so I don't want to step on the toes of what we plan to do over there, here. But I do want to talk about it. You know, it's my show. It's Notre Dame. This was a big deal for us, right? So the Teo documentary was so well done. And I knew a lot of that stuff. I read all the stories, right? But there was plenty that I did not know. And some of which you couldn't have known because they came directly from Teo's mouth or Naya's mouth. I guess we'll call that person Naya to just make it easy, right? Um, there were things that we didn't know and couldn't know, right? And that's what was great about the documentary is we learned things that we didn't and couldn't know until it came out. But... The takeaways are exactly what I felt and thought during that time. Now, people said it. It's been put all over Twitter. Who knew what catfishing was at that point? Nobody. It was a a new phenomenon, right? And now me and my wife are obsessed with the show Catfish. And it's it's funny. Uh, And not in a, like, you know, make fun of funny kind of way it's just funny to me like because people want to be loved and have a relationship and they the lengths they will go to uh, both sides pretend or be the one getting catfished where they're like they're they just want their relationship so bad you know and it's just like and I, I, I don't know a different word to use. Like it's it's 
it's funny and sad. It's it's all these emotions because it's like I I I can't relate, but you see it and the the level of emotion that goes into it, it's all there, you know. So and Naya's role in this whole thing, it's been played out on the TV show Catfish. And there are moments where you're like, oh my God, I feel so bad for that person. Like, they didn't know what to do. They were living a life they didn't want to live. They were a person they didn't feel like they were. And again, I can't relate to that. But you can hear and empathize with what they're, they're saying, right? And I, I've, been, I've seen the show to where I've been in the place where it's like, man, I feel so bad for that guy or that girl. And... You know, they didn't know what else to do. They were just trying to be what they believed to be themselves. They just went about it in a very awkward way and wrong way and deceitful way. You know, but look, look how, you know, sorry. And and sometimes they're grateful for the show, for exposing it and letting them kind of just come out and and be who they need to be, right? So the Tao documentary... Naya had a very open forum. She was front and center. He was front and center. Naya was front and center. And had a chance to own and be remorseful and everything. And they did none of those things on a level that I was like, wow. And God bless Manti Teo for saying I forgive Naya because I don't know how. Now, granted, I don't know if he watched or knew the things Naya was saying as part of this documentary, but I feel like if he did, how do you forgive that person? How? They flat out admitted there was an opportunity to end it. And I'm not even talking about Prior to the fake death stuff. Prior to that, there was an opportunity to end it. And they chose to not. They literally made the active choice to say, you know what? I'm going to keep pressing forward with this. Like, come on. And then to mess with him in that way and the, the, the fake voices, the numerous fake voices where you're fooling his family, you're fooling him, you're like the list goes on. It was it was next level. It was next level sociopath psychotic behavior that I don't know that you I could forgive somebody if that were to happen to me. And the takeaway is Tao got so much love and Sympathy and people were so regretful for the things they said and did for obvious reasons. The guy got played. And it's not his fault. That Naya did everything to run out the Lene character. Like to the fullest. Like when you start bringing in brothers and cousins and all this and then you bring a little girl to hug him are you kidding me 
What kind of psycho does that? I was just, God. Yeah. And then if you, if you, I'm sorry, if you didn't cry at the end, I, I don't know what to say because that dude went through the ringer, all because somebody was having fun playing a game, because that's what it became. Initially, you're like, okay, I get it. You feel a certain way, you can't express that certain way, so you you found a way to to be what you feel without really being it, right? Through a fake profile, pretending to be a woman. So it starts there. But then, like, you just, you lose all, any type of sympathy you ever thought you could have because of the steps that just, and the hole that just kept being dug and dug and dug. And it's just, she, Really messed with Taya, obviously. So I encourage you to watch the documentary. Uh, it was very moving. My wife watched it with me. She didn't really. She didn't know me in 2012. She didn't know the Taya story. She didn't know any of that stuff. And it got to her, like she felt it. It's like holy crap, like Jesus. And maybe it's because she's with me now, and it, we're Notre Dame everything. So. You got to feel something, right? But now, even if you're not an Notre Dame fan, just a, and I, you don't have to be a college football fan. You just have to be a person. You just have to be a person with a heart, <laughs> and watch it, and you'll be like, "Holy shit!" Like this guy, this guy got taken advantage of in every imaginable way. So, great documentary, loved it, highly recommend. So. Uh, but we will go, like I said, that was uh, kind of in-depth, but we'll talk more tomorrow night. Tune in, Chopping Beef, check it out. And the last thing I want to do to wrap up this episode, episode 50, milestone moment, was uh, mention two things. One, before I give my Ohio State preview next week, um, I did it last year. I kind of take a song that I like that relates to me, one of my favorite bands, and I make a parody about Notre Dame football to kick off the season. I cannot sing. That is not going to be a requirement for what I'm going to do, but I am going to throw a song out there. Uh, just have some fun. Is you know, Go along for the ride with me, right, guys? So that will be beginning of next week. But this is the big news. Episode 50. I get to give back just a little bit with the help of my Saturday's Count guys. Again, greatest catchphrase in college football. Only so many Saturdays and make them count. I've worn the shirt. You've seen the shirt. Here's what I'm going to do. Next Sunday night, uh, I'm going to do it Sunday night because that will give you a whole week. To listen to all your, get all your information that you want to get. I want to put on Twitter your game prediction for Notre Dame versus Ohio State. I need, very simply, within the replies, and it's going to only be on Twitter, the score, but 
with the team. Like, you can't just say, you know, 34-30. Well, is Ohio State 34? Notre Dame 34? You know, get, give me your exact score. What Notre Dame's going to get, Ohio State's going to get. The closest to the actual score will get a Saturday's Count t-shirt in the Notre Dame colors. Okay? That's what we're going to do. Yeah, I, I started thinking, well, you can pick any color. No, we're going Notre Dame colors. That's going to be the that's the caveat. I want all my Clemson fans in on this. But we're going to have to go Notre Dame colors. Unless you, you sweeten the deal somehow. But yeah, so next week, all week, you're going to have all week to... And I'll, I'll keep retweeting it to keep it live so you see it. But... Give me your score prediction for Notre Dame versus Ohio State. Closest to the actual score, we'll get a Saturday's Count t-shirt. Only so many Saturdays. Make them count. In University of Notre Dame, Fighting Irish, Blue and Gold. So that's that's the big news. I've never done anything like that. Uh, appreciate the guys at Saturday's Count for making that be a thing. Uh, I do appreciate it. So... Look out for that, and also look out for, well, hopefully the voice clears up a little bit, so I, you know, I can't sing, but, I I mean, my goodness, this is terrible, I can hear it, (laughs) but look out for me having some fun, a little parody, and uh, think about your score predictions for, for September 3rd. And as long as you get them before the game kicks off, you're good to go. I don't know how to lock it. I'll have to do, do some time stamping. I can't delete the tweet, but uh, no score predictions after kickoff. But uh, that's all I got today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, all you guys, friends, followers, everyone, thank you. Find me on Twitter at five foot nothing pod. Email five foot nothing pod at gmail.com. You know, get I, I want this season to explode for me. I really do. I don't know what that means. Like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not probably gonna get any money from it, but I just think it's fun having all this interaction, meeting new people. So that when I finally do get out to a game, I can actually meet some of these uh, Twitter handles and put a face and a person to the name and a voice like that would that that that's kind of the goal right whenever i get out to a game we we all meet up and and have a good time so thank you all for tuning in until next week five foot nothing hundred nothing out